Great, how's it going? Oh, good, thank you. Thank you for asking. Um, so my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And like Sean said, we're starting a new series called Fear. The Bible says, thou shall not fear, but sometimes that's easier said than done because there's so much stuff out there to be afraid of. And the interesting thing about fear is that fear can be a tool. Fear keeps us moving. I'm going to explain what I mean. So I'm going to start by sharing a story from the book of Exodus. And before I do, I just want to give you a little bit of context. So the Israelites were God's people, but they haven't really been God's people for a long time. They've been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, so several generations. And over that time, their, their faith, their doctrine, their theology, their understanding of who God is has been diluted and polluted by their association with the Egyptians. And we know this because later on they try and build an image of God and they end up building one of the Egyptians' gods. So they don't really understand who God is. And yet, God hears them. Which tells me that it's a really good thing that God hears us even when we don't have it all together or even when we don't understand him or when we're messed up or before we've We've turned around to, to, to connect with him. He's there. I mean, they were struggling, but God heard them. They were broken, and God heard them. They didn't have a full understanding of who God was, and he still heard them. And he sent Moses to deliver them. But Moses was somebody they didn't really know. Um, he was part of their ethnic group, but he had been hiding out in the desert for the past 40 years. So whereas the older generation might have remembered Moses and knew who he was, the younger people didn't even know him. And this is the guy that God sends to deliver a message to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. And Pharaoh does for a time, and then he changes his mind. And then he sets out to take back all these slaves that are on the run. Take them back, maybe, maybe even kill them. Or maybe set an example of them for the other slaves, even worse. And the thing is, Egypt was not a democracy. There was no vote, there was no checks and balances. Pharaoh's word was law. So whatever he decided to do to the Israelites would be done. And you can imagine the fear that they must have been feeling. Scripture says that Egypt is pursuing them with 600 chariots. And you're walking. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the fear you must have been feeling when you hear the hoof prints of those chariots coming to attack you? I mean, imagine that. Put yourself in that situation. You're on the run. You're walking with everything you own in one hand, with your children in the other, and these chariots are coming after you. Can you imagine the fear they must have been feeling? It's pretty dramatic. You might not be chased by chariots, but you know fear. For you, it might be you're being chased by debt collectors, by bills. You might be being chased by something at your job or your past or circumstances beyond your control. And so Pharaoh let the Israelites leave. And then let's read what happened next. So when word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, 
Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all these Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. And he took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh? What? Wait a second. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. So this is saying that the same God who let the Israelites leave, who got them moving, is the same God who hardened Pharaoh's heart so he chased after them. It's interesting. All right, let's move on for right now. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers, his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. But Moses told the people, do not be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. He's saying, why are you still praying? You've already heard the answer. Get moving. Oh, but Lord, we're, we're scared. He says, get moving. But Lord, we're in danger. He says, get moving. He says, don't you know, Lord? Don't you know we're, that we're in danger and you created this situation for us? We are in this situation. Why? Why indeed? I want to share something with you that I read this week. So, around the turn of the century, um, cod was becoming a very popular dish on the East Coast. And so Atlantic cod is really tasty. It's really savory. And, um, and on the West Coast, they have cod too in the Pacific, but it's not the same type of fish. It's, uh, it's a bottom feeder, so it's not really good to eat. So all these people in California on the West Coast, they started hearing about this dish getting really popular on the East Coast, and they wanted it. But the only way to get the cod there was to load it into a train and send it across the country. So it took a long time. And they would put it on ice and they would send it over, but it, even still it would get there and it just wouldn't have the same flavor. It wouldn't have the same texture. It lost something. It wasn't fresh. So they had an idea. They said, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to load the train up with these giant tanks, fill them with water, and put the cod in the tank. So that way it'll be alive when it's going across the country, and when we get there, maybe it'll be fresh. So they did this, and it got there, and they ended up cooking it and, and trying it, and it just, just was missing something. It just didn't have the right, the right taste. It wasn't savory. It didn't have the flavor, which is confusing, because I can see how something could be dead and not fresh. But to be alive and to not be fresh that's confusing. How can you be alive and not be fresh? How can you be swimming and not be fresh? How can you be raising a family and not be fresh? How can you be coming to church and, and looking nice and smiling and still not be fresh? How can you be alive and not be fresh? So this is what they did. They, uh, they decided to try one more thing, like a last-ditch effort. And they put in, they kept the tanks in the water, and they put the cod in there alive, and they dropped in a couple of catfish, these guys here. And the catfish, 
They're natural enemies of the cod. So now when the cod are, are riding the train, the whole time they've got to be on their toes. They've got to be moving. They've got this catfish nipping at them, and they can't let their guard down. And this time, when they arrived on the West Coast, they were fresh. So I know that you've been praying for a tank with no catfish. But God uses the catfish to keep you fresh. And he knows exactly what kind of catfish you need to keep you fresh. It might be uncomfortable. It might mean you're being chased. It might mean you're on the run. You know, it's funny though. It's funny how you don't really pray until you're being chased by something. It's funny how you don't really seek God's face until something big is chasing after you. It's funny how you don't really reach your full potential until there's something behind you saying, you've got to finish that degree. You've got to stay with that marriage. You've got to get out of that situation. You've got to turn your life around. You've got to change. It's not when everything's hunky-dory. It's when you're being chased by the catfish. So what is your catfish? The thing is, God uses these situations he uses the fear. So let's talk about Pharaoh for a second. So Pharaoh was Israel's catfish. And God hardened his heart. And he did this so that the Israelites would see his glory. He did this so they would know that it wasn't through their own might, through their own cunning, that they were delivered out of slavery. They would know that it was the Lord who brought them there beyond a shadow of a doubt. So he hardened Pharaoh's heart. What does this mean? It sounds like kind of a bad deal for Pharaoh. Like on its surface, you kind of think like God's walking along and he just goes, and then Pharaoh all of a sudden turns into like this robot and and starts chasing after him and doing what what God says. You got to understand something though. When the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, it's not like Pharaoh was, was a man of faith, like a good guy following the right path, and all of a sudden God made him do something that he wasn't going to do. Remember, God had to soften his heart in the first place so that he would let the Israelites leave. And remember this too, God sent Moses to Pharaoh to witness to him, to evangelize to him. And Pharaoh performed all these miracles, like he made his staff turn into a snake. And then when that didn't work, God did even more things. He showed his power in Egypt. He turned the Nile into blood. He blocked out the sun. He demonstrated his power. And even after all this, where it was clear that God is in charge, that God is working in Egypt, Pharaoh still was committed to the path that he was on. So finally God says, okay, walk down the path you're on, but I'm going to use it for my good, for my glory. And God allowed him to be who he really was, and he used it for good. So you got to ask, what path are you walking down? What are you committed to? So God allowed a situation to happen to the Israelites. It was a situation that was scary. It was ultimately for their own good, for their own freedom. And it's important in our faith to understand how these things work. Because I want to be clear, God does not give bad gifts. And I know this because Jesus says that God knows how to give good gifts to his children, to us. And the Bible says again in James, everything that's good and perfect comes from above. And I know it's easy to think, God, why are you punishing me? This, this is happening. What did I do to deserve this? And Jesus' disciples thought this same thing. They were walking along one day, 
and they came across a man who was born blind. And they um, asked Jesus, why is this man born blind? What did he do to deserve this? Did he do something? Did his parents do something? And Jesus says, no, he did nothing. He was born like this so that God's glory could be displayed through him. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where stuff happens that's not right, and it's not necessarily anybody's fault. But the deal is that God sent his son to save us from this world. Jesus ultimately healed this man from his blindness. And it's important to understand that God isn't the one who made him blind. God is the one who gave him sight. God doesn't punish you when you make a mistake. He isn't spiteful. He isn't getting back at you for that one time you did something funny in high school. Love keeps no records of wrong. It's the difference between people who have faith and the people who don't have faith. The people that don't have faith are mad at God for the catfish. The people that do have faith trust that God is going to use that catfish for his purpose, to teach us, to help us to grow, to lead us, to help us to reach our full potential. God says, I love you too much to let you stay where you are and be stuck. God knows that sometimes it takes a catfish to get you moving. And Pharaoh was the Israelites' catfish. And he got them moving forward and on to the next level. We all need to keep moving to the next level. Having faith means growing in your relationship with God. Pastor Mike knew this when he started this church, and we had a mission. And it's a mission that continues through to this day. And our mission statement is to help you take your next step in developing a relationship with God. This is why we exist as a church. It's not to come together and listen to some songs or listen to a guy stand up and preach. That's not, I mean, you know, if you enjoy those things, that's fine. But if we only do these things, we fail as a church. Because our mission is to help you grow in your relationship with God. And to that end, we've created these everybodies. And the everybodies are just, um, just ways for, there are six areas that you can grow in. So they're like subdivisions of the master vision. Everybody fits, everybody connects, everybody worships, everybody steps. And these are things that you can do to grow in your relationship with God and take that next step. But you know, I have, a, I have a suspicion. My suspicion is this. I think there's some people out there today that are afraid to go to the next level. And I think you're afraid to go to the next level because you don't want to be a freshman again after being a senior. You don't want to be a one again after you've been a 10. You know what I'm saying? Like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Then you get to 11, which is like one on the next level. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. 21 is one again, but on the next level. 31 is one again, but on the next level. 41 is one again, but on the next level. And there's a prestige that comes with being a 10. When you're a 10, you know what's up. When you're a 10, you've been through it all. When you're a 10, you are comfortable. You are on top. And going back to one means that you have to say, I don't know again. It means you have to kind of start over in a way. Being an 11 puts you in a room with 20s. And that's scary. It's a lot easier to be a big fish in a small pond than to be in a tank with sharks. 
So you stop growing and you don't reach your capacity. But God loves us. And he loves us so much that he hates to see us stuck, not reaching our full potential. So sometimes God uses fear to get us moving. You know, sometimes it takes a fear of something behind us that's greater than the fear and something in front of us to keep us moving. So I'm going to read the next passage in Exodus. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord. They said, Moses, why did you bring us here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness. I mean, how many of us have felt this way before? I'd rather be a slave than free. At least as a slave, I know what the expectations are. It's better to be comfortable than to step out. It's better to be a 10 than a 1. They asked God to save them, but now they're getting scared. I mean, they're, and I understand that. I mean, they're going somewhere they've never been. They're going out into the desert. They're doing something they've never done. They're following somebody they didn't even know. I mean, think about it. They weren't hanging out with Moses down at Starbucks. They didn't even know this guy. He'd been in the desert for the past 40 years. There, there's a lot of trust here. God was leading his people to freedom. He was leading them to the next level. But it was also to a scary place. So what's interesting here, to me, is the cohabitation of faith and fear. I mean, they had faith. You can't say the Israelites didn't have faith. I mean, they got up in the middle of the night, everything they owned in one hand and their, and their children under the other, and they left under the cover of darkness to go out into the desert. So they were following God, they were following Moses. They did have faith. But everything was going just fine until fear got in the way. It's funny how that works. You could say, Lord, I'm afraid, but I trust you. Lord, I'm scared, but I, but I know you're there. Lord, I know you'll bring me out of this, but I'm still up at 2 o'clock in the morning worrying. And you know, some people think that the church people have it all together. Like you might come and you might look around and think, oh, everybody, everybody's got it all together. It's, it's only me. But that's not true. I don't care how many scriptures you've memorized. I don't care how many times you've read the Bible all the way through. There are going to be things that happen in your life that make you scared, that make you feel doubt. And I'm not saying that's supposed to happen, but when you hear those hoof prints coming, it's kind of hard sometimes. And I propose to you that you've not really been living until you've been through that scary place. You don't really know what faith is until you've been through that scary place. You don't really know the power of your God until you've been through that scary place. Up until then, it's just religion. You're just coming to church. But after you've been through that scary place, church takes on a whole new meaning. Once you've seen God make a way for you, your faith becomes that much more real. Sometimes all you can do is trust God to make a way. He uses fear, but also God makes a way. So I'm going to share with you this final verse here. This is the conclusion of our story. And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff, raise your hand over the sea, 
divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. So picture that. I mean, these are slaves. They didn't have the internet. They didn't see all these crazy YouTube videos of things out there. They're simple people who had only known slavery. And here they are, and God's telling them to march into the sea. And he parts the waters, and giant waves on either side of them are being held up by nothing that you can see. And they walk through on dry land. They're perfectly safe following God's path, but they're scared following God's path. And then after they make it to the other side, the Egyptians follow them in. And God closes the waters and kills their enemies, just like he promised he would. And so I believe God did this for three reasons. The first reason was to save the Israelites, from their current danger. I believe the second reason was to save the Israelites from any future danger. But there's a third reason that I believe, and I think this is even most important. I believe he closed the waters to prevent them from going back. So as I end my sermon, I just want to remind you, Paul tells us that we're in a race. We're in a spiritual race that requires training, that requires discipline, that requires moving forward. Athletes run to win a prize that fades away, but we run for a spiritual prize, and we need to keep moving, and we don't stop moving until the finish line. Fear is a feeling. Fear comes when there's circumstances that are outside of our control, but faith is a choice. Faith says, Lord, I'm going to trust you even when I'm scared. Lord, I'm going to trust you even when the walls are closing in around me and my enemies are coming after me. That's the choice. So I want to challenge you right now. What are you afraid of? What is your catfish? What is your next level? As I was praying this week, um, I felt like God wanted me to share that there's somebody here that knows in their heart what the next level is, but they're afraid to take that step. And so, as I said that right there, if you felt like something in your heart, like, yeah, that's me, I want to tell you, do it. Take the plunge, say yes to faith, and no to fear. So I'm going to pray right now that as we go about our our week, that um, that we choose faith, that we choose to trust God. And we continue growing in our relationship with him. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you're a God who loves us. You love us so much that you don't want to see us stay where we are and be stuck. And I know sometimes you can be stubborn. Sometimes it takes extreme measures to get us moving. But I just thank you so much for that, for the catfish in our lives. And I pray that you just help us to continue to choose faith, continue to to run towards you and grow closer in our relationship with you, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen.